Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. You had slung upon your shoulders when you entered this room this morning a great burden, so heavy that it pressed your face down toward the earth. A weight. A weight. What is the weight? Is the weight your children? You're wondering how they're going to turn out and if you're parenting them well or terribly. Is the weight a relationship that's disintegrating that once brought you so much comfort? Is the weight a health crisis or a health uncertainty? Maybe it's a defect in yourself, a painful shyness or a seemingly unquenchable rashness in your speech. And it might just be an atmosphere of overwhelming loneliness that you've been living in for some time. Whatever it is, God has something to say to you through the words of Scripture. More specifically, in the words of Jesus Christ. And they are, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, you may have thought that's mainly a verse for people who are lost, who don't know Christ. And it is. If you don't know Christ this morning in a saving way, as you heard in these testimonies, you can take that great weight of your guilt before the living God that you will have to pay for one day. You can take that entire burden and give it to Christ, and he will take it and deal with it upon the cross, and it will roll its way into the grave and it will be gone forever. You will live in paradise with the righteousness of Christ. So yes, come to me all who are labor and heavy laden is an appeal to you who don't know Christ. But it's also an appeal to those of us who know Christ. And yet for one reason or another still have these burdens. Or who labor. Who feel a fatigue. Have we overcome all the weights of this life yet? No, we have not. Then this is a promise for us. Christ said, learn from me. We're still in the process of learning from him. This is something ongoing. We are still learning to take our burdens and cast them upon Christ and to find rest for our souls. Christ is the chief and the best burden carrier in this entire world. He himself, Peter wrote, bore our sins in his body on the tree, literally bore, carried our sins on the cross, dealt with them, done. But you know, Christ carries more than just the guilt of our sins. He bears all our burdens. He bears all our afflictions. He carries all the weights that we have. Cast your children upon Christ. Because he cares for you. Cast the funk that you are in upon Christ. Cast your depression, anxiety, the worries that you have about the future. Cast your business future prospects, your career. Cast your health upon Christ. Now, this burden bearing of Christ can happen in two different ways. Sometimes it happens in a very direct way, invisibly. 
where you, through prayer, by faith, take the burdens that you have, you cast them upon Christ, they land in his open hand, he takes them, and in a way that you almost can't describe, kind of like Warren sharing this morning after our Sunday school, he takes that burden invisibly, mysteriously, and you feel a relief from that burden. That is a direct carrying of your burden, and Christ does that. But often, and maybe most of the time, that's not the way Christ carries our burden. Most of the time, Christ takes up your burdens indirectly through a believer or multiple believers in your life. It's still Christ carrying your burden, but he does it through someone else. Make no mistake, when someone comes alongside you, a believer, and you are struggling with a great weight and that person leads you to some degree of relief from that burden, that was Christ carrying that burden for you. It is ultimately His doing. But He can do it and most often does take your burden, give you rest, give you relief through other believers who come alongside you. Paul once recounted for the Corinthian Christians an agonizing season of his own life even when we came into Macedonia, he said, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Does that describe you? There's Paul, a burdened man. His co-laborers can't support him. They were all burdened together. But God, he writes, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Who comforted Paul when he had a weight upon him, a brick-filled backpack? Who took that? Who relieved him? God who comforts the downcast. But it was by the coming of Titus. And so often it is in our life when Titus appears, when that believer shows up in your life, just in the moment of crisis, in the moment of need, someone not afraid to get their hands dirty in your mess. And they come alongside and you find relief. That is God. That is Christ, the greatest of all burden bearers, bearing your burden. And that's what we're considering in our text today. Bearing one another's burdens. It is the task of Christ. He is the greatest at it. But any of us who are his followers have the privilege to be used by him and to imitate him in bearing or carrying the burdens that we find in one another. So let's look at this. We're in Galatians 6. We're just starting at the very beginning. Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are now nearly at the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians. What has Paul told us so far? Mainly this, that if you place your faith in Christ alone 
for your salvation, you will be counted righteous in the sight of God that moment and forever. Are there external works in the context to which Paul was writing, the Judaizers, a group of false teachers, had come in and said there were certain external works, specifically Jewish works, that these non-Jewish converts to Christianity had to do if they really wanted to be saved. Faith is good, but not enough. So said the Judaizers. They also had to be circumcised, basically to become Jews. They had to observe the religious calendar of the Jewish people. They had to observe dietary customs of the Jewish people. Keep the law that was handed down to Moses. And Paul said, no. That's this entire letter. Paul saying, no, faith by itself. Faith in what Christ has done. Apart from circumcision or uncircumcision. Or any of these external acts. Faith in Christ that is all that God requires. And then a person is saved. A person is justified, is counted righteous in the sight of God. But of course, Paul said, this message I've received from heaven, this gospel, this good news, when someone truly embraces it, it does not stay all by itself. Works come in, not before you're saved, but after you've trusted in Christ, through faith, love one another. Actually, by simplifying things, all these external rights are no longer necessary in this new covenant. By simplifying things, Paul says, now you're freed up. You have freedom to love others with all your energy, with all your mind. That has been this letter to the Galatians. And we've talked just in previous weeks about once you've trusted in Christ, there's now a war inside you between the flesh and the Holy Spirit you've received. But the Spirit will prevail and will lead to all of these good fruits in your life. So the Christian life is not by works. You're not saved by the works that you do. But it leads into a beautiful life of works. And what Paul is doing today at the beginning of Galatians chapter 6. Is showing in a more specific and concrete way. The kind of life that he's envisioning for Christians. Yes we need to love each other clearly. How? What does that even look like? How do you know if you're doing that? And he gives you this specific detail. Loving each other is mainly carrying each other's burdens. And what he does in our text today is he talks about that in a general sense. Bear one another's burdens, whatever the burdens are. And then in the first verse there, he narrows in on one specific way that you can bear other people's burdens. So we're going to consider this as something that obviously applies to us as Christians. This is your whole MO. This is what we're about. Carrying each other's burdens. Let's look at it generally in verse 2. And then we'll move more specifically in verse 1. So look here in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The image here is easy to recognize. You have the idea of a person who is walking along and they have some kind of heavy burden. Let's imagine it upon their back. And it's just a bit too much for them. So they walk along. They stumble. They strain to get back up. They try to move forward. But their strength is not equal to the weight that they are carrying. So there you are and you see this person straining under the immense weight. And you come to the person... And you get up under next to them 
and you lift with your shoulders, and now the weight is divided in half, at least here, if you're not taking all of it, and you are alleviating the burden on the original carrier, and now the person feels relief, breathes relief, and can walk forward. That is the physical picture that we have here. If you want to see this picture again in the Old Testament, part of the law of Moses, one of the commands God gave to his people when he delivered them out of Egypt in the Exodus, brought them to Sinai, and among his laws, he gave this one, if you see the donkey, not common for us to own anymore, but it was then, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying down under its burden, because the burden's too heavy, so can't stand up, you shall refrain from leaving him with it, you shall rescue it with him. Donkey was a beast of burden, but this burden is too great. The donkey cannot stand up. In this case, it's your enemy's donkey, so you've got to love even your enemy's donkey here. But the donkey can't get up, and you have to help. How? By taking the burden and lifting part of the burden so the donkey can stand up. In the New Testament, all of you know an excellent example of the same idea in a very tangible way. Simon of Cyrene just happened to be coming in from the countryside to the city of Jerusalem on the day that Christ was crucified. And of course, they compelled him to help Jesus carry his cross to the place of execution. Here is Jesus who had been beaten brutally, had lost a lot of blood and vitality, and was not at that time strong enough to continue carrying his cross beam to the place of execution. So the Roman soldiers compel Simon of Cyrene. Of course, it was compelled. That's a little different than what we're talking about. But there's still a parallel in this picture. Carrying a weight that someone else cannot lift up. Now, fast forward to the present day. And you're a mother of young children or older children. And you are meeting with a young single woman. And she, in a moment of vulnerability, shares with you the fact that she's been laboring under an immense burden of loneliness for some time. And God has not seen fit to grant her marriage in this season of her life, but she feels completely alone. And she doesn't usually share that with anyone, but you've got a relationship and she's shared that with you. And what is happening in that moment? A burden is upon that young single woman's back. It's heavy. She's not flourishing spiritually. She's making progress little by little, but more than anything, she's falling, she's stumbling, she's trying to get back up, she's moving forward. And there you are, by God's providence, put into her life. And you see her struggling with that burden. <clears throat> what is your responsibility? Verse 2 tells you, bear one another's burdens you're going to help carry that burden for that young woman. Alleviate that burden, if possible, in any, <clears throat> excuse me, godly way possible. You can pray for her. You begin to pray daily for her in her loneliness, that God would use her loneliness, relieve her loneliness. You start to do that every day. You can have her over for a meal. When you have fellowships with others, it's an easy thing to shoot her a text and say, hey, you want to join us? You open your door on a Sunday and say, hey, you want to come, come out here for lunch, spend time with us and our crazy children? But the one thing you must not do is nothing. 
James, Jesus' half-brother, put it starkly like this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, so here's a burden of lack, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You can't stand back and say, oh, I see your burden. Maybe if you just angle yourself this direction and just lift, lift with your knees, no. Your responsibility is in any way humanly possible. You've been freed from the burden of the Mosaic law and all of its customs. Now you're freed up to do what? You're freed up to come next to that woman and lift some of the burden for her. Through prayer, through involvement in her life, through just about anything. The Holy Spirit will be your guide in the practical details of how you do that. But here's the general command that you have to do. Bear one another's burdens. You have to carry that burden. Now you might be thinking, my schedule is so tight. I don't have the time or energy, especially in this season. There are so many burdens around me. So many needs. I cannot meet them all. Technically, you're right. You cannot meet every need. And when he says bear one another's burdens, if you tried to bear everybody's burdens, it wouldn't be possible. But we can at least admit this much. We can do more than we're doing. Almost for all of us. Maybe there's two or three of you who just can't, you know. You're just, you're being as faithful as possible. But for most of us, we can't carry every burden, but we can carry more burdens than we currently are. And we can pray for the opportunity to do it. And I maybe shouldn't even put it that way. It's not that we can, it's that we get to. There's hardly a higher honor, or even as a Christian, you can testify a higher joy than being used by Christ, the great burden bearer of his people, to be used by him to alleviate some of the weight that your dear brother or sister is feeling. If you've ever been used in that way, you know the joy of that. This is a privilege that we have to carry the burdens of others. And of course, we are looking to Christ. He is the example of carrying burdens. You say, well, I'm finite. I only have so much time and energy. Christ, as a man, was, is finite too, as God is infinite, but as a man was finite. Read the Gospels and what do you find? He doesn't have all the time in the world. He doesn't have all the money in the world. He could summon a legion of angels if he wished, but he didn't. He was like us, limited. We usually think of Jesus as the one who bore our sins in his body on the cross, the one who carried the cross, the one who carried our sins. He did. But don't forget that for years, before he ever got to Jerusalem and his crucifixion, he was already carrying burdens. Matthew describes Jesus' healing ministry by writing, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore or carried our diseases. Jesus saw us, humanity, straining under the weight of our burdens and this is what he did. He came up next to us and carried those burdens as an example for us that we should do likewise, to bear the burdens of others. Now, if you do this, you have, in essence, fulfilled your entire obligation, if you will, as a Christian. That's what he says at the end of verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, first of all, 
I hope you see that it's rather amazing for Paul to be talking about fulfilling a law in his letter to the Galatians. Because this whole letter, he's been saying you don't have to keep the law of Moses. Don't let the Judaizers say you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. So he said things like, we know that a person's not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And quote, by works of the law, no one will be justified. And quote, through the law, <clears throat> I died, <clears throat> excuse me, to the law. So the whole letter, Paul is saying, not the law, not the law, not the law. But you get here and he says, you should fulfill the law. But it's the law of Christ. Paul is clear that we Christians are not bound by the Old Testament laws, the law of Moses. Christ has fulfilled them for us. That's why we can eat certain animals that they couldn't eat, for example. We're free from that law. But that doesn't mean, as a Christian, you're free from all law in the sense of moral obligation before God. As a Christian, you're free. But you're not just free to go do whatever you want. And if you're a Christian, you don't want to go do whatever you want. We are under what is called here the law of Christ. Paul explained this to the Corinthians like this. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, don't have the law of Moses. I became as one outside the law. I didn't force them to become Jewish. Parentheses. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So when Paul says he's not under the law of Moses, he doesn't mean, so I do what I want. Whatever I want, he says, I'm not under the law of Moses. I'm under the law of Christ. I still have an ethic. I still have a moral obligation to my life, a way to live my life. It is the law of Christ. The law of Christ most simply is simply, it's that way of life that Christ presented to us as his followers and said, this is how you have to live. It's contained in the pages of the New Testament. Everywhere that you turn, this is the law of Christ. In many ways, it's parallel to the law of Moses. It's not identical, but there are parallels. Moses' law said, don't murder. Christ's law says, don't murder. So there are many things in common, but not all things in common. Dietary laws, religious festivals, and other externals that were unique to the Old Testament law are not found in the law of Christ. Really what Christ did was take the enduring principles of the Old Testament law, of God's will for all time. He found God's will for all time expressed in that Old Testament law. He crystallized it down and he gave this dual command, love God and love others. That is the summary of the law of Christ. We do not seek to get right with God even by keeping that good law. Even by keeping the law of Christ, that won't get you right with God. You can't atone for your own sins that way. It's only faith in Christ. But once your sins have been atoned for, once you've trusted in Christ, at that point, you are guided by the law of Christ. Love God, love others. And if you have truly come to Christ, one of the marks of it is not that you slow down in doing good works, but true Christians speed up in doing good works. Say, well, they've been freed from the law. They don't have to do anything. Yeah, they don't have to, but they want to. Because now we are under the law of Christ and our hearts beat with love. Jesus told his disciples in his lifetime and through them, he tells you, a new commandment. That's the language of law. Okay, A new law. A new commandment I give to you. 
that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so love one another. Or in the words of our passage, bear one another's burdens. If you do that, you've fulfilled your whole obligation as a Christian. That's what God wants you to live your life doing. This, under the burden, lift. Let's walk. Let's walk. Now, we have to be honest with ourselves and admit that although this is our ideal, to bear the burdens of one another, we've not always lived up to this ideal. Not even one of us have always lived up to this ideal. And sometimes, so much so that if someone on the outside were looking in on us as Christians, they might think that the law of Christ was to invent new burdens to place upon one, one another. We've not always been the sort of people to relieve each other's burdens. And sometimes we even increase the burdens put upon each other. I know, for example, one woman who carried the burden of a very long illness. And she wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. She had nearly died a few times from it. She was very thin, had lost a lot of weight, was not able to take in food. And some believers in her life, who God put there, of course, to provide her comfort, came and became like Job's friends. And they told her, if you had more faith, you would not be sick like this. In other words, they came along, here's a Christian who is suffering, and we don't know the reason why for the illness. God doesn't always reveal the reason why. But they assumed they knew it. Came alongside, there's that donkey, its back is almost breaking under the weight, and God says, you've got to relieve that donkey, and they've come and taken their own burden and thrown it on the top of the pile. That is the opposite of what we're called to do as Christians, to relieve burdens and not to add burdens on top of people. They were like the Pharisees where it says, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. Now there are times when we have to, in some sense, burden each other. For example, we have to confront each other when there's sin in each other's lives. And sometimes that can feel burdensome. You're going to see that in just a moment in verse 1. But let's commit ourselves and recommit ourselves to be the kinds of people whose lives are characterized by removing burdens from our brothers and sisters rather than adding burdens onto them. We will do some of both. But may God grant that we would be like Christ who always came to carry the burden of those who are struggling. Let us fulfill the law of Christ by very frequently, even this week, relieving other believers in any way that is possible for you to do. So that is the general command here. Bear one another's burdens. Now that leads us into one specific burden that we should be bearing for each other. And that's really what we find in verse 1. So let's look here. Verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now with all this talk of relieving burdens, you might leave here and encounter a believer who is in a clear sin. Not a fuzzy sin, not like maybe you shouldn't have done that, but a clear sin. And you might be tempted to think, ah, Life's hard enough. I don't want to add on to this believer the burden 
of me confronting them because that's awkward and painful. It's going to be weird in our relationship. I don't want to add that burden onto this person. So you might be tempted to just say, for the sake of not burdening this person in sin, I'm not going to address the sin. But you can't do that. And you know why? Because you just read verse 1 with me. And verse 1 makes very clear that one way that we actually bear each other's burdens is by confronting and addressing and dealing with sin that we find in each other. Bearing burdens does include making meals, visiting people in hospitals, giving money, etc., etc., but it also includes carrying the burden, in a sense, of someone else's sin or the consequences that they are dealing with from that sin, them being caught in a sin. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so more than the consequences specifically, you are carrying the burden of that person now being in a fallen and a broken state. That is a massive burden for someone to be caught in a transgression. And just notice that although he does use the language here of caught in, that does not in any way excuse any of us of the personal responsibility we bear when we transgress. If you sin, there are many times where it does feel like, from your own experience, that you've been caught You've been ensnared. It could have been something where just slowly over time you made small compromises and before you even knew it, it feels like you are ensnared in some sinful relationship or some other kind of sin. Or it could be you're just tempted in the moment and in a moment of weakness, the sin overtook you. So our experience, and that's what's reflected here, is that many times it feels like we were caught in a snare. That's true. But biblically speaking, that's not an excuse for our own personal responsibility in our sins. Sometimes when we've sinned, instead of owning up to the sin, we do the terrible thing of trying to step back from the sin and distance it from ourselves and say, that's the sin, that's the temptation over there. I was just minding my own business over here and like a bear out of the woods, it overtook me. What could I do? That's just called excusing your own sin. Don't do that, don't do that. So when the language here is caught in transgression, that is expressing how it can feel. You may be in that situation right now where you feel caught in a transgression. It's not an excuse of responsibility. It's not meant to dampen the sense of our need of fully repenting of the sin. But when someone, anyone in the body, and none of us are above it, anyone in the body is caught in a clear, open, big transgression, you have a responsibility. Say, well, I'm not the one caught in the transgression. Yeah, but you have a responsibility. It's right here in our text. You who are spiritual should restore him. You have to help to restore this person. So, oh, that's messy, and that's going to involve a lot of time. And Yeah, it's a burden. It's a burden. You're going to carry that burden and help to restore that person. I should note at the outset here as well that almost certainly for Paul when he writes this, he's envisioning a certain kind of situation in the church. Not necessarily every kind of situation in the church. So in this kind of a situation, it seems you've got a genuine believer who commits some large, obvious sin. Your calling is to gently restore that person. The reason I say there may be some exceptions to this there may be some other kinds of situations not in his mind, is because while we always want to restore anyone in sin, anyone in sin, 
Paul does at times give counsel different than this. For example, he says to Titus, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. And that is the way that Paul typically deals with sins that are stubborn. Someone is stubbornly committed to sowing division in the body or to spreading false teaching. Those two sins especially, if someone is stubbornly committed to those, we would not focus on Galatians 6.1. Say, well, we've got to just very gently, don't offend, you know, just very carefully, very gently. No, have nothing more to do with them. Paul tells the Corinthians, put that guy out of your church. So I want to make clear that Paul is thinking of us as believers moving along and someone is caught in a transgression. It's not a stubborn, ongoing, unrepentant heart, sowing division, breaking unity, spreading false teaching. I don't think Paul would encourage them to follow this model for the Judaizers, for example. But day to day, most of the issues, most of the sins that we fall into are not those they are other kinds of sins listed on the works of the flesh that were given just recently in Galatians 5. So returning to our text here, we're facing a situation where a genuine believer has fallen. And this could be a shocking sin. If you've walked with the Lord for some time, you're aware that we're all capable of very shocking sins, even as believers. You may have someone in your small group you've loved and looked up to, and they commit adultery. You may have someone that you're co-laboring with and then out of the blue, an outburst of anger that you didn't expect. Or you may have a close friend in the church who's now being charged with tax evasion. So I never would have guessed that, never would have thought that. You might have someone that you love who is dear to you, you're investing in them and then they, in a moment of honesty, share that they're becoming addicted to alcohol or maybe to some other substance that they're beginning to abuse to try to deal with the burden on their own back in the wrong way. When you encounter someone caught in a transgression like that in the church, what is our typical first response? Panic. <laughs> it's very often panic. You think, what do I do with this confession this person has just made to me? This is something massive. You know, I can deal with the smaller. This is a big thing. What do I do here? And oftentimes the feeling we may have is, I've got to send this person to a professional. I'm not, I can't touch this. I've got to send this person to a professional, meaning a pastor, a counselor. Now, we love biblical counseling at Faith Bible Church, and we do formal biblical counseling here. Several of us are certified with ACBC. So there is a place for the quote-unquote professionals. Those who have gotten training have gotten certified to help with these big, complex, sticky sins. So, yes, please make use of formal biblical counselors. We have a biblical counseling ministry here. If you're caught in some sin or you're helping someone else and it's tricky and it's tough and you're not sure what to do, reach out to us elders. Reach out to us who do counseling. We want to help you with that. But I do want to point out at the same time, that when you look at this passage, notice that Paul is not specifically addressing the professionals. Instead, he says, brothers. That's believers. That's you guys. It's all of us. And then he says, you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual, we spoke somewhat about last week that all believers are spiritual. We live by the Spirit. But I do think Paul here is using this in a slightly narrower sense. 
I think you who are spiritual here just refers to a healthy Christian. Meaning you're not caught in a transgression. If you're caught in a transgression, you can't really help someone else caught in a transgression. First you get the log out of your own eye. But right here, he's referring to the believers in Galatia at large, those who are healthy. That's most all of you. And some may need to be restored or struggle, but most all of you are the you who are spiritual in this passage. You are the brothers, you're spirit, you're healthy, you're walking with the Lord. And Paul, Christ, through Paul, addresses to you, you are responsible for restoring the brother caught in a transgression. This isn't one of those things that you can say, oh, that's the pastor's job. <laughs> I can't do it by myself. You are also responsible for helping to restore, to helping carrying that burden. Now, our impulse, of course, is when someone has fallen, we want to run away as fast as we can. Because what if we mess up that counsel, we give them the wrong counsel, and it comes back on us, and it gets all messy and dirty. I don't want to be a part of that. i got enough going on in my life. But this passage says, you who are spiritual, you have to restore that person. You have to run into the heat of the battle where it's thickest, where the need is greatest, where the burden is biggest, and you yourself. So I don't know enough. Yeah, but you're a spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. He will help you. Use the elders. Use those around you. But you bear some responsibility. It's the command that is given here. And, and like I said, if something gets particularly tricky, involve the elders. Involve your leaders in the Lord, certainly. But it is your responsibility to be involved in this. And you might say, well, I don't know how to restore someone who's caught in a transgression. Well, you know what? You're at the right place because that's literally what Paul does in the rest of verse 1 is he tells you how to go about restoring someone caught in a transgression. First, he says you do it in a spirit of gentleness. After all, your aim is to relieve this person's burden. Sometimes when others get caught in a transgression, it's an immense inconvenience to you and our little sinful hearts sometimes want to make the person pay for inconveniencing me, for taking my time, for saying some cruel thing they said. Sin always splatters, as many have said. So if you're standing nearby, you may be personally affected by the sin of this person. That tempts you to deal with the person not gently. To let them know they've messed up big time and they will pay. There will be a pound of flesh. And so Paul says, knowing our tendency... You have to do it in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, your goal has to be you really want this person restored. You really, even at cost to your own shoulders lifting the burden, you really want to alleviate some of the weight that is crushing this fallen sinner who is next to you. We have seen that gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way we can do it. The Spirit works this gentleness in us. And the gentleness shows itself by not driving too hard, by not going too fast, by keeping the appropriate speed. You push the person toward repentance. You encourage them. You show them scripture. But you realize this person is likely, in this case, a bruised reed. Don't break the bruised reed. It's bruised. It's going to break. You better be careful. It's a wick and it's smoldering. It's about to go out. So you're going to be very gentle. Again, it doesn't mean you don't confront others. Sometimes you confront them very boldly. But in this case, especially if someone has already repented and is in the process of being restored, we go slowly, we go gently, we empathize, we love the person, we demonstrate compassion. 
We show the person we're not just annoyed to be here. We're happy to be fulfilling the law of Christ by carrying this burden for someone. So you do it with a spirit of gentleness. Secondly, in this text, if you're going to restore someone who's caught in a transgression, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. The best restorers in the church are those Christians who feel their own weakness acutely and recognize in a living way their complete dependence upon God and His grace for any good that is in them. The worst place Peter ever got to was really when he told Jesus, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. He ate those words later. They did not taste good. They were very bitter. That was a terrible place for Peter to be. Be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. So when you are helping someone else who's caught in a transgression, there is an appropriate humility and self-reflection where you can recognize part of the reason I can be so empathetic and gentle with you and your sin is that though it's so wrong, I could have done it. I can do it. It's not beyond me. So I keep a watch on myself lest I be tempted. How many pastors have fallen and you hear the story and it always starts like this. He was counseling her. He was carrying someone's burden and he didn't obey this to keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. May God deliver us. When you are helping someone caught in some big sin, the temptation is to think the focus is this person's big sin. I'm fine. I didn't do that. And you can start to feel a kind of superiority because I'm not the sort of person who would do that like you are. And that person may be looking to you for spiritual guidance. So again, you put on the front and go, oh yeah, I'm a very holy guru who's going to get you out of this and restore you. Be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. May God deliver us because you come to restore that sinner and you're a sinner. And your own heart can, for example, as you're counseling, helping someone have an unhealthy desire for more sordid detail than you need. That's your sin. And if you're not careful with that, it will lead in a terrible direction. That is the point right here. We instead ought to heed Jude's counsel when he says, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. There was a time in the past when when I would hear of a pastor falling into some sin, adultery or something else, although I didn't say it or articulate it, in my mind I really did think that that was an issue over there across the canyon and it's not an issue for me, it never will be an issue for me, I don't even really have to think about it, that's just something that some bad pastors over there do. That is not true. Every sin in this world I'm capable of. Every sin in this world you're capable of. The right response, even as we're helping others with their sin, is not a sense of, I will help you with it. Let me take care. I've never struggled with that. Let me help you with The right response is fear. There is a healthy fear that we feel as Christians when we hear someone else fall because there can be the sinful sense of, give me more details how bad they are because that makes me feel good for not being that bad. None of that. None of that among us. You kill that. And there is a fear where you say, God, thank you for keeping me from that. As the pastor of my old church in California with his elders used to pray, God, if any one of us elders 
is going to publicly disgrace your name by a fall into sin, please kill us before it happens. That's a serious prayer. All of us are capable. So we have a healthy fear. We handle it like a weapon. You don't play with a weapon. You have a healthy fear. We have a healthy fear as you restore others. Brothers and sisters, the essence of this message and what Christ is telling us at the beginning of Galatians 6 is you are surrounded by people with burdens. Carry those burdens. And as we close, let me just make a point that you also have burdens on your shoulders. Some of you need to really start carrying other people's burdens more. So that is the word that God has for you. But there are also others here where you have immense burdens on your shoulders, but you don't want to let anybody know. You say, I'm fine for Christ to carry my burdens, but I don't want to inconvenience anybody here. So you're being crushed. And this is my own temptation. You're being crushed, but you don't want to put that on anybody else. Listen, you're okay with Christ carrying your burden? Most of the time, Christ does that through them. And they can't do it unless you let them know. Find some trusted friends, some believers, and take the risk of sharing the burden you're experiencing, sharing the need that you have so that they can bear your burdens when you are weak. And when you are strong, you will bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. <laughs> 